Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. Three simple piano keys used to create one of the most iconic Hollywood scores in history. One that can invoke a response from its listeners unlike many others of its kind. In 1978, two friends set out to create a scary story and in the process produced a groundbreaking film that would change the landscape of movie making forever as well as the holiday it portrays. The leaves have changed, the air is cold and crisp. Jack-o'-lanterns adorn every household window killer has decided to return home again. Horror unlike anything before it. A story like only the Missing Chapter podcast could bring you. Happy Halloween. Hi, this is Kathleen Kinmont Kelly in Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, and you're listening to the Missing Chapters, October 31st, bonus episode. It is the Boogeyman, the making of Halloween. Enjoy, and happy Halloween. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Missing Chapter podcast. It is the Halloween special. So everybody at home, happy Halloween on behalf of Phil Horner and Phil Schaff here at the Missing Chapter. Phil, this is one of our very first Halloween specials. We're excited. We're in a different arena here. We're in our auditorium, so you might hear a little bit of an extra special echo. <laughs> if that's the case, don't worry. Don't adjust your volumes or your settings. Uh, we're in a very spacious and beautiful auditorium here in Canada, Harry, New York, and uh, we hope you guys are having a great Halloween. Maybe you're already trick-or-treating. Maybe you're listening to the Missing Chapter while you're going door to door how epic would that be i know and you know i i think halloween's one of these uh one of these holidays where you enjoy it as a youngster as you get older it kind of fades but then as you become a family if you're fortunate enough to have kids halloween is back oh halloween is a great great holiday and and we've been looking forward to it for a long time yes sir um and we we've already had the discussion our favorite holiday treats I am pro candy corn. You are no. certainly not. Go no. back to season no, one and no, two. No. We already talked about that. Yep. Um, and we're looking for, I'm looking for Snickers bars and my kids, uh, you know, trick-or-treating bags. You're looking for Kit Kats. Kit Kat and Twix. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah the Twix. And yeah. I'm not I'm not unhappy if I come across a uh, peanut butter cup either. Yeah, that's true. No. Yeah, put them in the freezer. They're great. Mm-hmm. Uh, anywho, now you brought this um, this idea to me and I, I said, oh, we're, we're going for it. This is a, a Halloween yeah. special. We're usually released on Saturdays. Today's a very special day. Here we go. Phil, take it away. You know, Phil, throughout history, movies have been become very synonymous with the holidays. And, you know, as I was putting this this podcast together, I thought to myself, like, can you imagine not having It's a Wonderful Life or National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation on? It's a great while point. While you're putting up the tree or, or you're baking Christmas cookies or, you know, a yearly tradition of watching the Ten Commandments during, you know, Easter season. Yeah, yeah. So maybe no movie is more famous for the time period and memorializes in cinema than the iconic John Carpenter classic Halloween. Of course. So much so that this one holiday production gave rise not just to a franchise of sequels, but really to an entire genre of movie titles. Carpenter's Halloween premiered in uh, Kansas City on October 25th, 1978 to very, very little fanfare. 
It was a low-budget horror movie aimed at primarily drive-ins and secondary markets. Hmm. Even its director had very guarded expectations for the audience's response. And I think this quote that he gave um, to, a, to a reporter who worked for what was called Film Comment, a magazine, a periodical at that time, he said, that's a programmed movie, Carpenter said. And what he meant by that, he said, it's an old county fair haunted house movie. You say to the audience, you're going to see something that's going to scare you. Now get ready. I'm not going to tell you when it's coming. Here it comes. And it is. It's like, it's like a visual haunted house that you would go to at a fair almost. That is probably the best description yeah. of that movie that I think I've ever heard. And it's directly from the man who created it. So what even John Carpenter and fellow co-director Deborah Hill could never have predicted was the immense, immense response that Halloween had and continues to have some 45 years later, really transcending both time and generations of moviegoers. Not bad for an independent project with very meager finances, written and created by a group of self-proclaimed hippies. So prior to reaching John Carpenter's desk, the plot and script for Halloween originated in the creative mind of Erwin Yablins. Now, I've listen, I love movies. I love horror movies. I love the movie Halloween. I had never heard of the name Erwin Yablins. All right, you said that, and I'm yeah. thinking to myself, why don't I recall that you know, name? I have no idea. When people think Halloween, and rightfully so, they think of John Carpenter. But Erwin Yablins is really where the, the seed was planted for this entire film. Yablins was traveling back from a film festival in Milan, Italy, when he conjured up the simple, very elementary storyline of a madman stalking and killing babysitters. All right, He recounted in a story by the New York Times in 1981, he said, everyone has either been a babysitter or had a babysitter, so it was very relatable. The catch for Yablins was that the filming had to be very cheap because he had no money to invest in either purchasing a book or a play. He landed in the United States rushed to a phone to pitch this very simple, basic idea to a friend of his, John Carpenter. And it happened to be, what night, Phil? Friday the 13th. No, Halloween. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I was trying to, yeah. It was April Fool's Day. No, it was yeah, Halloween. Yeah, yeah. It was Halloween Christmas night. Day. <laughs> <laughs> now, Yablins had acquired John Carpenter's 1976 urban western movie. It was a movie called Assault on Precinct, Precinct 13 which was kind of a, uh, an action picture that failed to really kind of find a, an audience or a niche anywhere in Britain. But you'll find this interesting. It was successfully distributed in Britain by Miracle Films, okay? And the reason that's important is that Miracle Films and the man that Yablins and Carpenter had worked with on that project two years earlier was headed by a kindly gentleman named Michael Myers. Wow. Yeah. The director was looking for a commercial hit, something that was really going to propel him you know, into stardom in Hollywood. Yablins was looking for a director for his very commercial movie. So the two made a deal. Yablins uh, would be the executive producer of the movie, financing it through his company, Compass International Pictures. Splitting, ready? The entire budget was $300,000. Wow. Now, I realize this is 1978, but still. But still. $300,000 by any standard of movie making is extremely you know small so obviously a low budget even for then even for an independent film uh the financier financier that they were going to work with was a guy by the name of mustafa akkad which if you watch the, the film obviously in the in the credits he's uh, very prominent in exchange for writing and directing it 
Carpenter would get creative control, $10,000 and a percentage of the potential profits. Carpenter then brought on girlfriend Deborah Hill to co-write the script and produce. They came up with the story of Michael Myers, a six-year-old boy who murders his teenage sister on Halloween night in 1963 and is sent away to a mental institution only to escape on the same holiday 15 years later and return to his hometown of Haddonfield, Illinois, and kill again. Now, the slender budget meant Carpenter and Hill couldn't afford stars, which was fine with Yablins, who knew the story was the selling point anyway. British actor Donald Pleasance, whose credits by then included The Great Escape, the James Bond film You Only Live Twice, which is probably what he was most recognized for, and the biblical epic The Greatest Story Ever Told, was the most expensive marquee name that they could afford. He was paid uh, $20,000 for five days' work Wow! Um, as Dr. Sam Loomis, the psychiatrist who had devoted his career to trying to reach Michael and then his efforts to keeping him locked up. Now, I wonder what kind of comparison numbers are we talking here right. for, from 1978 to 2023? And what's interesting, too, you think or $300,000, $20,000 for one marquee name. For four days, five for days. For five days. Yeah. That eats up a lot of that small, that small budget. That's true. Yeah. Now, the rest of the cast was rounded out by mostly unknowns. Uh, though Jamie Lee Curtis, in her film debut as Laurie Strode, The Tale's Final Girl, did bring some star power. She was the daughter of Tony Curtis and Janet Lee, who appeared in two of the film's biggest influences, Psycho and another movie uh, called Touch of Evil. Right. So she herself is not a marquee name, but she's big because her parents were. Right, yep. So everything on Halloween happened fast, with Yablins and Carpenter desperately wanting to get it in theaters in time for the title holiday. So the entire production was working backwards, from that deadline. Everything had to be, because if you're going to release a movie called Halloween (laughs) and it's ready by Thanksgiving, it's not going to do what they intended to do. So Carpenter and Hill wrote the script in about two weeks. Really? While the film in its entirety was shot in 22 days in May of 1978. Is that a record? It's got to be. It's got to be. If it's not, I mean, you just, again, you go towards things were done so hastily Yep. On such a, a very thin budget, it's amazing that this movie had the impact that it did. It, yeah, it really is. One of the things I like to point out here, too, when with regards to trying to stay within budget and, and you know save money where you could, the crew had to keep sweeping up and reusing the, the pieces of fall foliage uh, because it's May in order to maintain the belief that it was October in the movie. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Right. Yeah. So they only had a certain amount of leaves. So if you watch the movie, it's like they, they would film one segment, gather up all the leaves for future segments. <laughs> oh my God. Like, so somebody had that responsibility. Editors uh, Tommy Lee Wallace and Charles Bornstein cut the film shortly thereafter. Carpenter composed the wildly famous score in three days because he confessed in an interview a few years later, quote, I was the fastest and cheapest I could get. That's insane. So the Halloween score that we talked about in the intro was actually written by John Carpenter. Wow. Yeah. Keep in mind the next time you watch Halloween, although placed in Illinois, the cars all have California license plates. Okay. They're filming in California. The setting is Illinois. And that was one thing that they either overlooked or hoped that people would overlook, whether or not it was intentional or not. I'm going to have to watch it again. So there you go. Both Yablins and Akkad admitted that their hopes, this is interesting, that their hopes for Halloween were very short-sighted. Ideally, the movie would succeed 
they could sell the rights to other producers who might be able to rework it, redistribute it, and they would quickly kind of flip their investment for a profit. What they didn't necessarily anticipate was that Halloween was about to be released during the ideal time in Hollywood, where so many other different factors and elements seemed to kind of align, and all of which contributed to the movie's wildly unexpected success. So they're looking to make a quick profit. Hey, it's a great idea. It's not going to really cost much if, it, if it's successful. Right. And they want to do future films. We've already given that to John Carpenter. He can go ahead and do that. We sell our stocks and we profit from it. And, and lo what, and behold, here lo we and behold. are. And you know what's funny, too, is in my research, one of the things that Carpenter was really shocked by is that there was no movie called Halloween. You know, when we went to do the podcast, <laughs> we were like, hey, the Missing Chapter <laughs> podcast. Oh, it's available. That's great. That's what yeah. we wanted to call it. There was no movie called Halloween. He's like, how is that possible? <laughs> it's, a, it's a movie called Christmas. So we talk, Phil, about, you know, with our students, when things happen in history, they don't happen in a vacuum. And, and it's very often the result of, of these historical circumstances. So why was Halloween, this low budget kind of low, not really anticipated film, such a huge success? Take a look at what's going on in Hollywood and take a look at what's going on in the world during this time. So, for instance, female protagonists in action, thriller, and horror movies were at an all-time high thanks to then-recently-released movies, such as, ready? The Exorcist, Stephen King's Carrie. In fact, actress P.J. Souls was in Carrie, and that's how she got her small role in Halloween. So, in addition, it was also a great time for scary horror movies Recent box office success, uh, The Omen, Jaws, oh, uh, yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, all three of which were centered around these unstoppable killer forces. So finally, 1978 just so happened to be the year of the serial killer and stories <laughs> oh that had gripped news headlines. So you have movies that are successful, but then these are the headlines that resonated through not, throughout 1978. Ready? Son of Sam, Ted Bundy. John Wayne Gacy, the Hillside Strangler. So when all was said and done, these conditions were prime for the movie Yablins and Carpenter were about to release to the world. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Missing Chapter special Halloween special. Here we go uh, for the second half. Now, I got to tell you, Phil, these are, there's a lot of things involved with this movie that I don't know if it's because you know, a lot of times we just assume certain things about movies and that all movies are, are made the same way. Essentially, there's a lot of this of this creation of this movie that I had no idea. Mm -hmm. And it's wildly successful. So I, I have my own speculation as to why it's wildly successful. Um, even the own producers, as you mentioned in the beginning, really didn't anticipate the success. I think, you know, I, I obviously made the joke of Friday the 13th. And in, in reference to that, it, it kind of sparked something. I mean, like maybe mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons why there is such, um, I don't know, a nuance behind these these two movies. There's almost a competition between the two. Oh, yeah. You know, um, Freddy versus Jason, that kind of thing. Um, Michael Myers, you know. So I'm just curious. I'm thinking, and I, I just did a Google search, too, because a lot of people, it's funny, Michael, of course, comes first, mm -hmm. right? Um, but when people think of of like King of the Slashers, why do people automatically go to Jason first? Because we had this conversation yeah. actually a few weeks ago with a couple of people talking about the, the debate between Halloween and Friday the 13th. And even though Friday the 13th was two years after, I'm mm -hmm. wondering if that competition 
actually fueled some of the success of, of Halloween in 1978. Yeah, I think they kind of, they fed off of one another, so to speak. And we mentioned earlier that there, there had been these, these scary kind of iconic 1970s and 1980s horror movies. Right. But Halloween really seemed to give rise to the teenage, what quote unquote slasher movies. Yeah. And, yeah. and I'm going to mention later on imitation, you know, Phil is the highest form of flattery. And, and before long, seeing Halloween success, you only have the, the this huge influx of other movies, including Friday the 13th in 1980. Right. And that seems to be really next to Halloween, the most successful. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, granted, Friday the 13th was a little more, I would say, probably mystery, but mm -hmm. it's still, I, I, I wonder where they got their inspiration from. Maybe they saw the success of the 1978 sure. thriller yeah. and, and maybe ran with it. Yeah, and you know what's great, too, is they don't rely, I mean, you think of horror movies today, they're, they're over-the-top gore, and they're just, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of elements to them that, that Halloween and even Friday the 13th didn't have. They're, they're more of a, um, they're, they're entertaining they're scary, but they don't have that really kind of gross element to it, I don't think. That's true. It's and suspenseful, but it's not over the top. So speaking of suspenseful, yeah. in typical Missing Chapter fashion, you've already laid out a bunch of things for us that I 100% mm -hmm. will fully admit I, I had no idea. So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess you have some extra did-you-knows for us here. Yeah, so I'm going to talk a little bit about the success um, that, that Halloween had. Uh, especially for the people involved, and then give you, you know, some did you knows in the making of, and, and you know, as you're watching Halloween, maybe tonight or or in future years, keep an eye open for. Halloween grossed Phil forty seven million dollars in its initial run, and then it gets re released each season because again, Halloween now is becoming synonymous with this movie, um, leading up to a television debut in October of 1981. So forty seven million dollars over those three years, and it's funny to think, and you can you can probably remember this as a kid, you know, you the days before Netflix. And Amazon Prime, obviously, you know, things would come out on TV. Yeah. yeah. And you'd be like, oh, my gosh, this was just in the theaters. You got to get your VCR ready and make sure you have a right. blank tape long <laughs> enough to record it. Right. But, uh, yeah, $47 million for a movie that started out with a $300,000 budget is, is pretty impressive. And I think it kind of led to a lot of what you talked about, those imitation movies that are going to follow. Well, think about the ripple effect that movie has, because now Halloween has completely changed course. Where prior to 1978, do you have that? You know, it's, it's, it's a creepy kind of holiday, yes, right. whether you can call it a holiday or not, and people could debate that. But, you know, the idea of, of killers, slashers, gore, yeah. that kind of thing, it's really taken off to the point where it's like my wife and I are watching like a baking championship, and it's, you know, Halloween baking championship, thriller, action, killer, you That's know, it. And, that kind of thing. You know, like I said, it kind of transcended time and generations because right up until the 2000s, I mean, they, they're still releasing updates <laughs> to this movie. I You're mean, right. So... Also, giving you an idea of how successful, wildly successful Halloween the original was, Halloween 2, which would be released shortly after 1981 and, and when Halloween was uh, shown on network television, that film had a far more impressive $2.5 million budget. Wow. And, yeah. it was, and it was produced that time by Universal Studios. <laughs> so you're talking about a huge upgrade there. Yeah, that's um, for sure. And like I said, imitation. Carpenter's model of low budgets, fresh-faced casts, unstoppable knife-wielding killers – looking to murder their victims around holiday festivities, Friday the 13th. You had a, a number of other small kind of B-movie, scary movies, Black Christmas, April Fool's Day, Mother's Day. None of these achieved the cinematic success that Halloween did. And, and you can really point to not only the money, but really, you know, the sequels. You know, yeah. behind Halloween, that's what it kind of be, became that's known true. for, including Friday the 13th, these constant sequels. Yes. Almost comical. Some fun facts. 
Some fun facts for the making of Halloween. Keeping in mind that the goal of the producers was to minimize costs. In the opening scene, um, you get the camera shot through a Halloween mask, a clown mask that's supposed to be the young Michael Myers. Those are actually the hands of co-producer Deborah Hill. So the young Michael Myers, you can just see the hands grabbing the knife, heading upstairs, getting ready to murder his sister. That's co-producer Deborah Hill. No way. Actors and actresses who, again, were primarily teens. All right, so we're not talking Donald Pleasant. But they were allowed and encouraged to wear their own clothes for filming. Really? So we're going to save on, on dress. Hey, dress like a teenager. That's what you're supposed to be anyway. It's a $300,000 budget. We don't have money for, exactly. for to buy you outfits. I and mean, we don't need to. Probably this is the, the, the mo- one of the more well-known um, elements to the making of Halloween. But yes, the original mask for Michael Myers was a generic store-bought, slightly modified mm-hmm. William Shatner mask. Uh, it was originally titled The Babysitter Murders. Haddonfield is a real town, although it's not in Illinois. It's in New Jersey, and it was Deborah Hill's hometown. Oh my so that's gosh. where they got the name uh, Haddonfield from. So Haddonfield in New Jersey, it's filmed in Illinois, right. license plates from California. From California. <laughs> so it's, it's coastal here. Yeah. yeah. More than a dozen people have played Michael Myers throughout the 13 movies made, and Carpenter never intended for movies beyond the original and reluctantly signed on for Halloween 2, primarily because... Um, it was so popular, he felt like, you know, this would continue his career. And um, the, the money he was able to use now through Universal had ballooned to $2.5 It's amazing. Thank you for joining us. Until next time. I'm Phil Schaff. And I'm Phil Hornder. Another chapter has been added to the history textbooks.